Hey, what's going down, y'all? This is your boy, Jay Mace, and welcome to another edition of the Time Machine Archives right here on Beyond the Album Cover. Today's throwback interview is with Lionel Martin. You know him, directing music videos from BBD, Shantae Moore, and a whole list of artists back in the 90s. And also, he was a part of pioneering rap video music show, Video Music Box, which is still going on to this day, with Ralph McDaniels and he was known as the vid kid at the time so we talked about video music box how he transitioned into directing music videos and everything else in between you can be sure to follow beyond the album cover on all streaming platforms where you get your podcasts and go to youtube.com slash j5 for video content so ladies and gentlemen here's my throwback interview with lionel c martin acclaimed music video director right here on beyond the album cover Hey, what's going down, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mays, inside the Time Machine on WUAG 103.0 FM. Playing the best in the old school hip-hop, R&B, and everything else in between. With me on the phone right now, I have Lionel Martin, accomplished music director and part of the pioneering music video show, Video Music Box, for those of you that may know it from the Tri-State area. Mr. Martin, welcome to the Time Machine. Hey, thanks. Quick way to be here, man. I appreciate you doing this interview, man. All right, now go ahead and tell the people how did you get your start in hip-hop. Wow. Well, I think I've just been very blessed, very lucky. I, I think I, I came along at the right time. Um, uh, along with my partner, Ralph McDaniels, uh, we both grew up in New York, and um, we, uh, we, uh, we, we started as DJs. You know, we used to, we used to spend at uh, house parties, and then that eventually led to clubs. And when we were, we were DJs, people like Russell Simmons with Rush Management would actually come to the different clubs we were working at and give us records, like, you know, Curtis Blow and eventually Run DMC. But the early uh, stuff that Rush had was stuff that we were given to play. And then Ralph, my partner, kind of went was working at a station called WNYC, Channel 31 in New York, uh, which was like a public access station at the time. And uh, he had come up with an idea to do a a, uh, a show that would play like music videos and basically the hip hop stuff. And the reason that he chose hip hop is because back then there weren't that many things. I mean, MTV was around, but there wasn't many outlets for hip hop music. And back then also the hip hop uh, videos were really low budget and they, they basically looked like crap. You know, they didn't look good because the record companies at that time were so small and independent, you know, they didn't put a lot of money into the hip-hop videos as opposed to their counterparts of the the rock and the pop stuff. So uh, Ralph had this idea to play these hip-hop videos and put the show together called Video Music Box. And since we had been partners as childhood friends and, you know, did the DJ stuff, he kind of called me one day and told me, like, you know, to check out the show and what he was doing and stuff. And I kind of came up with an idea because I thought it was pretty cool. I said, well, why don't we go to the various hip-hop artists at that time and let's get them on camera let's do interviews with them let's go to the clubs where they were performing at and stuff and we basically changed the whole concept of the show from a show that just played music videos to a show that's pretty much uh the pioneer of what all these uh, music video shows are today you know um and that's basically how Video Music Box got started. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, that was a mouthful because I know being from down south, we didn't really know too much about it because we're not from the Tri-State area. For those of you that don't know, Tri-State area is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. 
That's correct. So it was like a big thing of the like whatever, like three o'clock, four o'clock, everything was shut down. As soon as you hear that Houdini five minutes of funk video music box, Uncle Ralph with Lionel the Big Kid. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. People would run home from school to catch that show because it was the only source. It was the only place they could actually see hip hop artists, you know, in mm. their videos. And no matter how tacky the videos might have been back then, it was if you're hungry. If you're hungry for hip hop and that's all you got, then you're gonna eat it and you're gonna enjoy it. Right, and this was around, around the time when okay, music boxes going strong. Then you had Mr. Magic over at BLS. That's correct. Mr. Magic was at BLS and at, at uh, Hot 92 or I think it was KRS at the time was Red Alert. Okay. Yeah. Another legendary hip hop DJ pioneer who I also had the pleasure of interviewing a while back. Right. Absolutely. You know that was definitely um worthwhile. Now explain to me. By you being around when hip-hop first came about, we all know it from, you know, various documentaries and various books. What was it like growing up firsthand when this cult subculture was starting to rise? It was surreal. That's the best way I can explain it to you because, you know, the music that was on, that was on the radio, this whole little hip-hop thing, I was just growing up in, in it. So I was, like, enjoying the music and loving it. I was part of something. I wasn't like an outsider looking in. I was like growing up in it and hearing the different stuff that was coming out. So it was kind of exciting to me. When I got an opportunity um, to eventually direct stuff, like my first video that I ever directed was um, Roxanne Chante. Um, it was called Roxanne's Revenge. Well, the way that came about is you know, um, uh, a young lady who I knew who was an editor and had cut a lot of hip-hop videos at the time, she, you know, we, 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 we talked. I was working at our Sesame Street, and she was telling me that she actually was editing. You know, we, we just talked. You know, she was, she, was a, she was a white girl, too, so it was kind of interesting. And she was telling me about Divine Sounds and all these hip-hop videos that she uh, cut and put together. And I was, like, kind of a little impressed. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Now, mind you, at this point, I hadn't even done anything hip-hop or directed anything hip-hop. And she told me that um, that it was a pretty interesting thing to get into. And she said she could hook me up. She said, I, you know, I could probably get you to direct a video. And I said, well, I've never done one before. And she said, well, you know, you seem like a smart guy. And we were both working in television film type of stuff as PAs. You know, we weren't doing anything big. But I did have a little bit of a knowledge. And she told me, well, there's this artist named Roxanne Chante, and, and her manager is this guy named Tyrone Williams. And and uh, I, I think I can get you this video. And and um, I didn't even know who Roxanne Chante was, but I knew who Marley Maul was because I'd heard him on the radio. And he was actually the producer of the track. So we went into a little uh, somebody's basement. might have been Marley's basement. We shot this video, which I'm not proud of to this day. Because, you know, it was my first. But we shot it on three-quarter tape, which is like, you know, the lowest form of video back then. And... Um, it was kind of successful. It was kind of successful for Tyrone and stuff, and that was my first touch uh, of it. But the point that I'm trying to tell you is I didn't, I didn't know who these people were, and it was just kind of an interesting thing. And as this hip-hop started to grow, I was noticing that a lot of the acts that I was doing would become major. The next person I did was, see, Tyrone liked me, um, who had a company called Cold Chillin' Records, and he said, you know what, I got another act, and his name is... Um, um, Oh, MC Shan. And I was like, okay. So we did a video for him. And one thing that was cool about Tyrone, he liked what I was doing. The uh, MC Shan video did so well that they got a deal with Warner Brothers. And Tyrone, being a cool, straight-up type of person that he was, was like, you know what, you're going to do all my acts. 
and that's how I got involved with Big Daddy Kane, Bismarck E, and you know the rest is kind of history. You know? Right, cause looking at that Roxanne's Revenge video, it looked like uh shot in somebody's living room about five ten minutes and and everything like that. And then of course you knew Marley because he produced that track, and then he also did the um, the bridge with um NC Shane, which led to the whole beef between the Juice Crew and BDP. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, of course you got. I got. We were living in dangerous times too, because you know I was rolling with them doing videos, but I was a part of the little politics, the little disses that was going on between them. So at times, you know, doing the videos back then, our lives were a little bit in danger. But that was all part of the fun, you know, <laughs> of being part of this new. Um, this new thing called hip hop. Right, so you had to protect your neck at all times. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Now tell me a little bit about these guys, I feel in my opinion, one of the most underrated singing groups and they could rap too of that period, Foursome D's. Oh yeah, Foursome D's were real cool. They were, they were really cool and they were different because they could rap like you said and they had a good harmony and stuff like that. And um, we, actually, we actually got involved with um, them Four MDs and Kid, what was his name? Kango. And it just opened up a whole other uh, door for us, you know, because there were so many little companies starting up, you know, and it was kind of cool. I was getting a reputation as a pretty cool uh, cat who would do the hip hop videos. And the thing is, what I brought to the table, there weren't that many directors doing it at the time, but um, I come from like a film background, so I always wanted to make the videos as big as possible. And I always had beef that the hip-hop videos were done so crappy anyway. So I was looking at the big um, rock and roll videos, and basically the artists, when they would come to me, was like, I want some big shit. I want some TV stuff. I want some film stuff. I want my stuff to look really large and stuff. And that's how we started. I started to say, well, why not? Let's do it. And we started to come up with these little storylines and these whole movie concepts and everything. And back then, some of them, I would say, didn't look as great. But at least we were attempting to make them big. And like, again, it was the pioneer. It was the, it was the groundwork for how you see videos today. Yeah, it d definitely was. Now, what was your take on the New Jack Swing period? Okay, so New Jack Swing would be Teddy Riley. Mm, Teddy right? Riley, Gene Griffin, the whole right. camp. Um, that was a beautiful part. That was a, that was good. I, I got to meet Teddy Riley, who, uh, you know, uh, when I first met Teddy Riley, he couldn't even read, you know? And I thought, I said, this guy's a genius because of his musical stuff. I said he was like a self-taught uh, kid from Harlem, who Gene Griffin, you know, took under his wing. And um, I was impressed with the type of music. It was, it was different. We never heard anything like that before. And it was kind of like hip-hop and R&B kind of mix. So it was real cool. And I got to do a lot of stuff with Teddy Riley. I did Guy for him, which is one of his biggest groups, I think, to this day. And got into that whole uh, New Jack Swing era. Mm. Now, um, didn't you direct some videos for Belle Biv DeVoe? Yeah, I did them all. Um, well, in the beginning, anyway. Okay, from the Poison period. Yeah, All right, now I, which I think is their best period, that first album, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely, that was their best album. It was crossoverable. They still had the R&B fans loving them from the days of New Edition, and also you had the pop fans crossing over, because still today, in 07, you got people in, like, Lawrence, Kansas, probably Kalamazoo, Michigan, singing Poison. You're absolutely right. Well, the thing with um, Belle Biz DeVoe is I was a big New Edition fan, and this is, a, this is a true story. It's kind of funny and stuff. Um, Hiram Hicks, who was the manager of the group at the time, called me up because I had made a little bit of a name for myself as far as hip-hop was concerned. I'd done a lot of hip-hop videos. By then, I had done Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane. I did Third Base. 
um, and I was almost like the king of the hip-hop videos. I hadn't done that many R&B videos, though, at that time. So Hiram called me up and told me he wanted me to meet this group that he was managing, and he just said they were called Belle Biv DeVoe. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that they were some of the members of New Edition. So I went to MCA. I was living in New York at the time and met with the group, and then, of course, when I saw them, I realized who they were. But the funny thing is when I first went into the room where they were all sitting, um, uh, they were all watching Bobby Brown videos. And Bobby was the first guy to leave the group, and he had a big success with my prerogative and all that stuff, don't be cruel. So he was, like, kind of huge. And these guys, they, they looked nervous. I remember Michael Bill was kind of biting his, biting his nails, and they were just looking at this little TV set and watching all these Bobby Brown videos. Now, I came in the room, and I was kind of like, I would say a little arrogant back then. Not that I was arrogant towards the guys, but I was like, kind of like a hip-hop guy, and I was like, well, what is this? This is not really hip-hop. This is some R&B stuff with a little bit of hip-hop in it. And um, I started, like, listening to the guys, and they played me the music. Now, when I heard the music, they played me Poison, and they actually played me another cat, another track called Doomy. Uh, and I was, like, very impressed. I said I liked it, and I liked the way the little hip-hop thing was going on. And then I told uh, me and Michael uh, Biv, we just hit it, hit it off really well. I said, like, where do you want to shoot this? And he said, well, I see us in a park and um, at a playground and stuff like that. And then he said, man, I, I want to do my rap on a basketball court. And I said, well, why don't you do your rap on top of the rim? And he was like, man, I like this cat. He's thinking out of the box. And we just vibed at that point. And uh, our connection was so good that he, when he got his deal with Motown, he said, I want you to do another bad creation, and of course, Boys to Men, and that's how him and I started a, a, a legacy, I think, of some great videos mm. and some great groups. Right. Now, what was that, that like, you know, getting to work with Boys to Men during their beginning period with Cooley High Harmony? It was, uh, it was very cool. I mean, um, I always trusted Biv, because Biv at that point, I think Biv was like the modern day, um, now, the, the back in the day, Diddy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he he had a great vision, had some really big ideas, and um, loved to push the envelope, which I like, because as a director, I always like to push the envelope. So when he'd show me Boys to Men and eventually Another Bad Creation, I saw it. I got it right away. And then he had a lot of, you know, ideas like Cooley, uh, like back in, in Belbeth DeVoe, he was like, it's mental, you know, and I mm-hmm. understood the whole concept of mental. And then he was like, Boys to Men is like on this Cooley... High Alexander high, Vanderpool and look. Alexander Vanderpool and stuff, and I just basically rolled with anything Mike threw at me, but always took it a step up, which is what I think good collaborations are about. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely that. Right. Now, what is your take on the R&B group Troop? I thought Troop was an incredible group too, man. I mean, um, I like the clothes that they wore, you know, back then, and um, um. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know what else I could say, but I thought that they were different, and yet at the same token, you know, it was good when you saw R&B groups that what I call dressed and had a hip hop feel, you mm. know, because you know we came a long way when you had the traditional like Temptations or groups that wore suits and were really kind of cool, like your mom and dad's R&B. Exactly, you know, when you saw these R&B cats who could sing. And then at the same token, they were dressed in more of a hip-hop vibe. I thought it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. when I first met Jodeci, I was doing a Father MC video, and they were singing the background. Treat and when right I saw these cats, I was like, oh, my God. I actually told Andre, I said, Andre, let me get a piece of this group. I mean, they're so dope. And they were so hard, you know. And, you know, Jodeci is 
the rest of the, the, the story with Jodeci. I mean, that's his story, mm. too, as far as the whole movement. Yep, and it should be known, too, people, that Jodeci came from right here, North Carolina. Yeah, that's right. Put, that's put, right. Putting us on the map. And please, Jodeci, if y'all out there listening, please put out another record. We've been fiending for that for I don't know how long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. KC is a really good friend of mine, and I always thought he should be a solo um, artist because I did a... Uh, uh, if you think you're lonely now, which was off of the uh, Jason's lyrics soundtrack. Jason lyrics. Um, you you got you got a good knowledge, brother. Man, you you on it. I'm I'm impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was originally covered by um, Bobby Womack. That's right. That's yeah, I got I got to know my stuff now. Um, what was your take on this group? Even though that they were way pop, they had some R&B undertones in them. New Kids on the Block. Um. To be really honest, mm. I never really felt strongly about New Kids on the Block. And I think mm. the reason is because when something is so hype and there's so much stuff around it, mm. and uh, um, how can I best explain this to you without, I mean, I'm not trying to diss anybody. When I see a guy like Eminem, to right. me, he's white, but he's the real deal. Mm. I don't think anybody can really mess with that cat. He's right. really talented. Um, when I was doing third base back in the day as hip-hop artists, I thought that they were real cool. They kept their own identity, right. but they were still really cool. When I see a white group that kind of tries to play the black card, like, you know, we're white, but we just happen to be doing all this black stuff, and it doesn't seem like it's real genuine, which is mm. what I thought about New Kids on the Block. Mm. I thought the only thing black about them was uh, uh, Maurice. You Maurice know, the Star. guy behind him. Maurice Star, right? Yeah, speaking of Maurice Star kids, he'll be another interview coming soon on the Time Machine, so you definitely want to stick around for that. Great. I did a lot of work with Maurice, too. Okay. Now, um, tell, tell, tell me about, like, hip-hop directors in general today. Like, of course, some people say Hype Whims. Some will say Little X. He go by X now. And just some of the big-name figures that are directors in hip-hop. I believe Hype Williams was the first, correct me on this if I'm wrong, to do the whole fisheye lens. No, I actually was the first to do the fisheye lens. But, but, uh, to give credit, first of all, Hype Williams came from my camp, you know. He okay. was like an, uh, an understudy for me, and he did a lot of work with me, and he is an extremely talented brother. Um, what he did with the fisheye, because I would do shots like a low angle with the fisheye lens, like the public enemy, Night of the Living Base Heads stuff, you know. What Hype did was he took the fisheye lens and he built what I call a force perspective set, which makes the set look even larger than it is, and it makes the angles look weird. It almost makes the set look like a V, like it has an incredible depth, if that makes any sense to you, what I'm saying right now. Mm. So... He did it in that respect and, and, and took a whole took it to a whole nother level and stuff like that. But it was basically the force perspective set with the fisheye lens and he did a lot of videos like that. Okay. Now what about um X, little X? Well X I don't know that much about X because they you know, it's like, you know, it's like uh you bring in your uh your your son. So mm -hmm. Hype was like my son and I brought him in and, and he did really well and I'm really proud of all the stuff that he's done. Um, then what happened later, then what happened later was that, um, um, Hype brought in X. That was his mm -hmm. understudy, you know? Okay. It goes on uh, like that. Okay, so it's kind of like, kind of like a feeder program. Exactly. exactly. So pretty much you start off as gophers, you know, give me my cream cheese or bagel, give me orange juice, give me a sandwich off the cart. And all that stuff is—is is that basically the route that you gotta take if you really want to become a music director? No, not necessarily. Now, I think a good route to take is to work 
with another music video director so you can learn. Like, There's so many different things you can do in this business. You can be a cameraman. You could be a stylist, um, do sound, um, be an editor and stuff. It just takes a special kind of cat who wants to be a director because you kind of have to be responsible for a little bit of everything. So everybody is not it, you know. Mm. Um, and there's different routes you can take. Some directors come from a camera background that they used to shoot, and then they said, oh, you know what, I want to direct. Or, like myself, I used to kind of do a lot of editing before I became a director. So the beauty about that was I kind of knew what I needed to shoot. Because a lot of directors, that's the biggest problem. They don't know what they need, and they overshoot sometimes. But uh, if you have an editing background, you know exactly what you need to mm. put together. Right. Is um, Video Music Box still going strong? It's still going strong, but I think Ralph calls it another name now, and I, talk, I still stay in touch with Ralph. I think it's called The Bridge right now. The Bridge. In New York. Uh-huh. Okay. Have you spoken to Ralph yet? Have you had any? Um, no, I haven't um, spoken spoken with Ralph, because like I said, this is like the first time me sort of getting like a good glimpse of what Video Music Box is, since I'm not from the Tri-State area. Mm-hmm. And being down south, you know, it was like certain programs like only varies in like like regions and, and things and things of that nature so um what is your take on hip-hop today because everybody's been bashing hip-hop like we've been people within academia ever since the whole i miss flap you know what's your take well i think hip-hop today is still very strong i mean i think it's it encompasses everything sports uh tv films commercials everything incorporates hip-hop because they know it's so big you can't get away from it. All the young white kids out there, they're into hip-hop. Everybody's into hip-hop, and they realize that the reason is because it makes money. People want to be part of it. Um, the thing that I think is kind of dangerous is I think record companies exploit it. They put it out real quick. They make stars overnight. And therefore, sometimes you get really talented artists, and sometimes you just get straight-up garbage because the record companies are trying so hard just to make some quick money. So I don't think artists nowadays are as developed as they used to be back then. They don't have to work that hard. The scary thing is, like, the way the money they throw into hip-hop, and artists can just come out of nowhere with probably no talent and become on on the on the Forbes list because he can make so much money in a short period of time. But I'm still from the school that I I respect artists and acts that uh pass the test of time, you know, that has a, that that has um what I call quality and a good uh uh foundation and you know and and they come up like that. You know, everybody can't be KRS-One uh. or Rakim. You know, these these you know, these are these are classics, you know. Right. And I don't think all the acts out there. You know, there's some stuff that I like, you know, I um you know, uh you know, you look at the Doctor Dre, but you know, Doctor Dre is amazing, but you know he's come from there. He's worked, he's he's been in the game, you know what I mean? Mm. Um I like Timbaland, um I like uh uh I like T I, you know, I like Ludacris, um you know, these the ones that I've just mentioned are maybe like more modern, more new, but I think that they have some strength. And if you like watch these guys too, they have a lot of respect 
for the early pioneers, and I think that's part of what makes them great. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, why do you think, in your opinion, that um, rappers such as Common, Most Def, Slip Kweli don't get the hype and the sales, say, of, like, a Jay-Z or 50 Cent, while Kanye, he's, like, the fine line between, like, Most Def, Slip Kweli, but he still can pull, like, 50 numbers? Well, Kanye's figured out what to do. He's figured out how to take a nice message, because, I, I, you know, uh, he's a spiritual rapper, he's, he's um, a conscious rapper, but he's found that, that, that edge to make it um, commercial. As far as the rest of those guys who I love and have tons of respect for, you know what, the, the masses don't want to be educated. They want instant gratification and stuff, and I think that's why. But you know what, there's always going to be a market. There's always going to be a market for talent quality, you know, for common. Um, for the uh, for um, Lupe Fiasco, Is that, did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, yeah you pronounce it Lupe yeah, Fiasco. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, because uh, there's always going to be a market of people who just want good stuff, who want to be educated and stuff. But the masses don't want to be educated. They want that quick fix. They just want what I call crap sometimes. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not going to be anti-crap. You know, because I used to tell people. Um, from a director's point of view, you know, I've done films. I did a movie called How to Be a Player. I did a white film called Long Shot with, with Britney Spears and stuff. But I always tell people, just because you're black doesn't mean all your movies have to be quality and high-end. I said, because there's something called B-movies. There's C-movies. There's crap movies out there. There's a market for that. There's people who like that and stuff. If, as a director, that's what you choose, I'm not going to be mad at you because you, that's what you, you, you're going after. That's what your market is. Um, at the same token, you know, the people who are uh, your Steven Spielbergs who do the high-end stuff, there's a market for that, too. And the people who do conscious films, there's a market for that. So I don't knock any person who does their thing. Mm-hmm. I just like the public to be at least aware of what this is. Right. Know, look at it like that. And that's right. how I look at it, the hip-hop, where it is right now. Mm-hmm. And in the music industry right now, there's been a big blow because 50 got P.O. when he found out that his video with Robin Thicke got leaked, and he did not take it too well. I mean, bored and ripped the plasma TV and threw it around his office, threw his phone out the office, and I, I take it 50 was having a not-so-very-good mm-hmm. ba- day that day. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, this technology that we have right now, I mean, that's what's going to be the deal. You can't really protect your music anymore like you used to. And I think that's why the record companies, they're losing so much money. I think there's just got to be a way that, that we figure it out. I mean, the thing is, the irony is, the record companies were charging too much for the music anyway. Mm. And that's why people started downloading. It's as simple as that. So maybe it's like a curse. It's maybe like telling people, because I'm... A, I'm person into spiritual karma if you went out there like the record companies did and they tried to be abusive they try to rip the public off anyway this is almost poetic justice for what's happening to them right now because they were charging too much money there was no reason they had to charge as much money for music Right, and then of course, you know what's going down with radio. A lot of um, pay for play. A lot of um, okay, I'll give you this in exchange for a spin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, even though it's college radio, I've gotten calls. We were like, okay, I need this record spent X amount of times on a consistent basis. I'm like, I say to myself, when I started doing my show, that would be the one thing I would never, ever do. I would, ne- I would never let anybody influence my decision to play a record. I think that's a that's a great thing. That's a beautiful thing. One of the things that Ralph and I were just talking about, I think we did something with Hip Hop Week, Weekly uh, 
couple of months ago, one of the questions that they had asked us was um, about programming, how did you feel about it, and stuff in music videos. And I said, uh, when we did Video Music Box, an artist brought a video to us, and we would go like, okay, we'd look at it, me and Ralph would look at it, and we'd say, yeah, we like this, this is dope, and we play it. If we didn't like it, if we didn't feel strongly about it, or if we just thought it wasn't really that good, we wouldn't play it. When you go to, like, MTV today, and you have a music video, which is just, to me, like a joke, and you, you want them to play it, you know what MTV tells you? They tell you, like, how's it doing with radio? What kind of spins is it getting? And to me, it's like, what does that have to do with if the video's good or not? You know, but that's the politics. You know, they want to see spends. They want to see money. They want to see that it's commercially successful before they even touch and play it. And I think we should go back to, like, just play it because it's good. Right. <laughs> you know? If it's and I good, I'm sure it's you good. do that for the music that you play. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. If, it, if it's good, it's good. They're going to love it because, like, you know, local artists, like, I know some local artists that got great music but couldn't get, get it on the local hip-hop station out here because of the whole politics of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you know somebody real good at the station, all you giving them some some under the table, greasing their hands. Other than that, you're not getting on. Period. Absolutely. And that's and that's a sad thing too. It's very corrupt. And also too about the entertainment business that I just realized that. In some way, shape, or form, everyone is connected. You may be connected to this person by this person, and like once you really get in, it's kind of sort of like one big small circle. That's absolutely. I agree. Now, what have you been up to since? Well, I'm actually, right now, I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been here for a couple of months. I'm working on a top-secret project that's going to be everywhere. It's a new kind of technology. Um, so, unfortunately, I can't tell you much about it <laughs> until, the, uh, until we, we meet again on the next interview. Mm -hmm. I'm working on, on a new film. And I'm also working on a, a, a TV series for the Sci-Fi Channel called Pawn Shop, which is like the best way I can describe it. It's like a Black Twilight Zone. Okay. Very cool, very supernatural, great stories. Okay, that that's that's what's going on, man. You have any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude this interview? Just love to all the hip hop people out there, man. You know, just keep it real, keep doing your thing, man. Um, and just be true to the game, you know. Whatever your game may be, just be true to that, you know. And don't sell out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Time Machine exclusive, Lionel Martin, a famed music video director and host of legendary Tri-State Area 80s music video show, Video Music Box. Mr. Martin, thank you for doing this interview and hang on thank the line. You. And keep your show going, too. All right, hang on the line. All right. All right.